Hello, and welcome to the Sabbatus Community Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Here's Pastor Russ. You know, I'm just, uh, I am so thankful uh, for all those who serve here and all those who uh, help lead us in worship or as Pastor Dave uh, shares, uh, because honestly, as a pastor, some of those things are the very things that minister to me. I mean, I, always, I get ministered to as I, as I share, but it's nice to receive. And, uh, and I was thinking of what Pastor Dave said. I know it wasn't literally his words. It was Solomon's words. It's actually God's words, right? Through Solomon, through Pastor Dave. And, and the whole idea of protecting the law, protecting what's right as you protect the very pupil of your eye. I got thinking, wow, we do protect our eyes. If something's coming at you, you'll sacrifice your hand. You'll turn your head. Right? And even if something gets in your eye, you certainly don't want it in the pupil of your eye. You want to shift it to the side of the eye, right? So, so what a great analogy there for, for us to remember the truth has to be that important. God's word has to be that important to us that we would do something. We would defend it. We would protect it as we would protect our, our very center of our eye. So thank you, Pastor Dave, for, for that. Um, this morning... Uh, I had to make sure I could actually see. I can today, so that's good. There must be something different here. I won't need my glasses quite as often. Uh, but I'm going to start a little bit different. I'm going to share a story with you. And as far as I know, this is an absolutely true story, an accurate account uh, from John Brubaker. And uh, you may know him, you may not, but he's an author. He was a, uh, a coach, a college coach, lacrosse for sure I know because it's part of the story here. Uh, but this was in a story from Stadium Status. Uh, I guess it was entitled Taking Your Business to the Big Time. And, and I want to share something because it has to do with our message today. So I'm going to read this to you. When Brubaker took over as a college lacrosse coach, a head coach, he inherited a team that had done poorly for years. Despite this, a high school standout named Stephen was interested in playing for Coach Brew's college, even though he was aggressively recruited by far better schools. Coach Brew met with the young superstar and attempted to sign him, but Stephen refused, saying he wanted to wait until the following spring. He was, however, willing uh, to give a verbal, uh, non-binding commitment. Well, Brubaker was desperate to sign this young star, and he told him that he would hold the scholarship for him until the spring. Well, all fall and, and all winter, other college recruiters came to Stevens games to watch this amazing talent and, and hoped he would change his mind. When spring came, Coach Brew and Stevens' coach sat down with him, asking him to commit and also asking, why you waited so long? To Coach Brew's astonishment, this is what the 17-year-old had to say. He said, Coach, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of colleges come to see me play each week. Most of my teammates weren't getting scholarship offers or even being recruited earlier this year, but now they are. By me not committing anywhere, all the college coaches who keep coming to see me would get a chance to discover how good some of my teammates really are. If I signed early with you, all the other coaches would have stopped coming to the games 
and none of my teammates would have gotten recruited. <laughs> you, know, you know, that is a wonderful example of true leadership. True leadership. It's not typical leadership, obviously, uh, but servant leadership. The idea of genuinely serving others and as a result becoming a true leader that is worth following. Not easy, but uh, of a great example. Uh, so with that, before we get into the Word, let's take another moment quickly to pray uh, together for, for God's blessing. Lord, I thank you for the amazing privilege it is to gather here together. I thank you for each one listening, each one here uh, presently, but each one watching. Lord, that you would help their heart to be ready to hear from you and from your Word. God, you say your word is alive and powerful and able to change lives, Lord, and, and we believe that. So we're asking you to do that today, Lord. And uh, so, so work, work with us, as imperfect as we are, but work with us through the perfection of your word. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, on, on your screen, we should have the title coming up here shortly. There it is, Learning to Become Like Christ. And you know, out of all of the topical sermon series that I've done, um, this has got to be one of the most fulfilling for me personally. You know, I don't even think about that as a pastor. You know, some more fulfilling than others. This has been wonderful for me personally uh, to be a part of because you start thinking about you know the person and the ministry and the impact that Jesus, our Savior, made, and of course is continuing to make, it absolutely is astounding. When you start taking a look at the person of Jesus, you know, just when I begin to think, because I start, I want God's leading, right, in my life, and I want to make good decisions, and I want to follow Him, and just when I start to think, Wrapping up this series might be a good idea. It's as if, at least up until this point, God has been saying, well, you know, hold on. <laughs> hold on there. I've got so much more to show you. I've got, I got more things I want to brag about my son uh, with, with those there. So just hold on. It's not time. Uh, so when you hear something like that, what, what can you do? Right? What can you do? at the end of the day, uh, I am here doing my best to minister to you, but I'm doing that in service to my God. Okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm ministering to you, but I'm doing that because I want to serve God well. And the reality is I must follow where he leads or I have absolutely no business standing before you and asking you to follow where I lead. So that's the way it has to go, all right? And, and, and with that said, uh, learning to become like Christ is again our message title, uh, and, and his servant leadership, Christ's servant leadership is going to be our focus today. And obviously we're not going to exhaust it by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what we're going to talk about, his servant leadership. And um, throughout all of human history, there has been absolutely no leader who is greater than Christ. All of human history, 
No leader who is greater than Christ. And, and I realize that, that that might even become a debatable uh, statement if we only choose uh, to view uh, the three and a half years of public ministry as our slice that we look into. But even I even think that even if that was all that we chose to look at uh, that or focus on, I believe I could still make that same statement that he was the single greatest leader who has ever existed. All right? Um, uh, but certainly, when we start to take into account that Jesus is the Son of God, okay, the Son of God uh, and His existence and His interaction with humanity from all the way from the beginning, right? We take that into account, and then we, on the other side of the spectrum, we take into account the fact that Jesus' continued impact with people today, leading them from a path uh, headed towards destruction towards salvation you know when you take all of that into consideration there, there can be no other person who is even remotely close to the greatness of jesus and his leadership nobody even comes close when you realize who he really is and what he's been doing in past and what he's doing through his word today even today and what he'll do in the future so nobody even comes close uh, but by his, even by his own admission, and we're going to read about this in a second here, by his own admission, his leadership style ran contrary to how the world typically operates. All right, so before we even read over this passage in Mark 10, that's going to be our main text here, I want to read a, a few verses from Mark chapter 8 and a few verses from Mark chapter 9, sort of give us a little bit of the backstory uh, and, and, and what, uh, what we read happening in chapters 8 and chapters 9, just so you understand, they took place about a year before what we're going to read about in chapter 10. So we're going to go back a year, okay, just for a couple of verses. And, and then you're definitely going to see there's a common theme going on here. So back up just to chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. And this may be where I need my glasses. That's why I have them up here. So Mark 8, 27 to 33, it says this. A year earlier, remember. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town, uh, towns of Caesarea Philippi, and, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Well, who do men say that I am? So they answered. They started getting some responses back. Well, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. Others say, oh, one of the prophets. Well, then he gets a little bit closer to home here, and he says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Well, then Peter spoke up. Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. That's an amazing statement, by the way, because you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. So he's basically saying, you're right, I am the Christ, but don't, don't spread that around quite yet. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a, that's a phrase speaking of himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But... When he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but 
the things of men. He's basically saying, Peter, your thinking's way off. You're off base. Your response, I get it, but your response is way off. Your response lets me know that you are mindful of the things of men. You're looking at things from this vantage point, from Manly's way of, of looking at things. And he goes, but I want you to instead to become mindful of the things of God. I want you to change your perspective. And, and that's what Jesus was doing. He was, he was leading Peter and all those present there to a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things. Uh, he goes, view everything through the lens of fulfilling the Father's plans. All right? View everything that way. Now let's skip ahead uh, to uh, Mark 9, 30 to 32, uh, where Jesus again shares this same kind of difficult news. So 9, verses 30 to 32, and it says this. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, listen, very familiar, look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask. So, I mean, you could get a little frustrated with them, right? But, but no matter, no matter uh, how much we think they should understand Jesus' clear statements, they simply didn't understand it the way they should, okay? And, and they were afraid to continue asking him about it. They weren't getting it. And there's all kinds of reasons why they weren't getting it. Uh, the, 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 the Messiah was supposed to do some things from Old Testament Scripture that he will do eventually, but that just wasn't matching up for them. So they were a little confused, and they got to the point where they were afraid to keep asking. Okay, so now with some of that as the backstory, let's read about what happened approximately a year later uh, from those two instances, okay? About a year later from there, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45. So this is the major passage we'll be taking a look at. So, starting in verse 32. Now, they were on the road. They do that often, apparently. They're walking from place to place. But they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again, and he began to tell them things that would happen to him. And listen to what he says here in verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. Then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him saying teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask and he said to them well what do you want me to do for you and they said to him grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He's speaking about the supper. 
offering that's coming, and the baptism, uh, and, and be baptized with the baptism that I am being baptized with. And they said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, mm, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized, speaking of their death. He goes, But to, spit on, to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus, he took this moment to be a teaching moment. Listen to what he does. He could have been right there with them. Yeah, they're wrong. Look at what he says in verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, in that passage there, we can clearly see that Jesus lays out for them again, okay, exactly what is going to happen in Jerusalem step by step. I mean, he's incredible detail, then this, then this, then this, even down to being spit upon, okay, all that. He's going to rise again. All that has been laid out again for them. And, and, and imagine knowing the specifics and the details of exactly how you were going to die. Imagine knowing the very details of how and when. And imagine that. You, you have that ability. Imagine that. And then sharing that, that, those details with your closest friends, the ones that you need support from, okay? You share them with your closest friends, only to have them start asking for personal favors from you about privileged positions in the kingdom of God. Sharing. This is like the worst thing ever. And you're sharing with them and you look and they start asking for positions to sit next to you on your thrones. Imagine that. And instead of becoming at least outwardly disgusted with them, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach. To teach them about his brand, I guess you could say, of leadership. So teach them about leadership. Uh, and as a point of contrast, Jesus describes how the world typically exercises leadership. And he says, you know, you see it, the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, it's so obvious, they lord it over them. They lord it over them. They have that position, that's what they do. And, and the idea behind lording it over them has the concept of, of oppressing their subjects through domination. Lording it over them. That's what he's saying. That's how they, they do that. It's a, it's a top-down uh, authoritative mo model of leadership. And there's some, good, some better leaders than there's than others, you know, but that's the idea of what he's saying. Uh, those in power use their power to keep their power. That's what he's saying there. And uh, so in the kingdom of God, <laughs> that's not how it works. Right? So if that's, who, that's where you're going, that's what you're following, that's not how it's supposed to work with you. Uh, so God looks for 
the greatest genuine servants, and based on his findings, he meters out leadership opportunities. Maybe not always positions, but opportunities. He, but he looks for uh, genuine servants, and then he meters out leadership opportunities. And, 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 you know, there's not supposed to be any climbing the religious ladder mentality going on. That's not what it's about. It's not supposed to be, oh, awful easy to say that, Pastor. <laughs> you don't think, maybe you don't know, okay? Uh, so it's not about that. It's not about saying, well, that I've got to attain here in order to be something. That is exactly the wrong way of thinking it, thinking about it. The right way, according to the kingdom of God, according to God's word, is this. And it's going to seem contrary. I get it. But this is how it's done. Get busy serving God by serving others with no strings attached. With no agenda. Just serve. Just serve God by serving others with absolutely no agenda of how it's going to benefit you. And then let him elevate you to a leadership position if he so chooses. But he'll certainly give you leadership opportunities because people will be watching. So you'll be leading even if you don't know you're leading, okay? Because uh, you're, you're acting like Christ in that way, in that slice of your life. And God doesn't waste those things, by the way. Okay, so you'll be leading even if you don't know. Uh, now, one of Jesus' amazing leadership qualities was his willing, willingness to lead by example. He led by example all the time. He had awesome teaching uh, abilities, but he led by example. And often, by contrast, you know, worldly leaders will tell you what to do when they have absolutely no intentions of following their own advice. They're awful good at telling you what to do and what not to do, but, you know, it's, it's a, uh, you know, their wonderful suggestions are for the common folk, right? Not for the elite. <laughs> not for me. Uh, and uh, it's a, a do as I say, not as I do mentality. But Jesus didn't operate that way. Jesus did not operate that way at all. His leadership strength was in his unwavering willingness to serve. Just serve and serve and serve, and he led by example that way. So let's quickly just look at uh, several situations where Jesus' willingly, uh, willingness to serve rises to the surface. So the next one we're going to take a look at is in Mark chapter 6. We're going to back up a little bit. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. And, and as you're turning there, I mean, after Jesus sent out his apostles, he sent them out two by two to, to minister, and he gave them power to minister. They were just, they were doing miracles in his name, okay? They gave him power to minister, but when they did it, it exhausted them, okay? They returned exhausted by the innate demands of ministry. Because ministry demands of us. Even if you have the power of God, it, it takes its toll on us. So that's happening, okay? And after all that happened, listen closely to how Jesus handles them. And then, of course, he ends up handling a gathering of over 5,000. So Mark 6, 30 to 44. The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So again, they're coming back. They're given an update here. And he said to them, well, oh, come aside 
by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, Well, this is a deserted place, and, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy for themselves some bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, Well, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat, even if that would even cover it? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, well, five, and oh, we have two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. All right. Um, you can hear Jesus' care in all of this. Okay, He cares deeply for his apostles and he knew early on before he even got to the 5,000 he knew they needed rest he knew they needed some some downtime uh, so what did he do uh, out of a, a deep compassion for their need he served them he says you got to get away come with me let's go away I'm going to serve you and give you what you need uh, and so he served them there and then he served them uh, we had the, these, these 5,000, he served them by teaching them the truth. And the, the apostles weren't teaching at that point, or maybe they were helping out, they had some energy, but it was really primarily Jesus, you know, taking this primary role, and he is teaching them truth. And then he served them all by performing this amazing miracle so that they all could eat. They wouldn't have to go. They could stay, and they could eat. And, and, I, and I hope you don't assume it's easy to assume things like this of scripture you know because we sort of separated a little bit but i hope you don't assume that all those there that day became you know genuine committed followers of jesus and asked him to be their savior okay it doesn't appear that's the reality it appears that most of them were there to hear a great teacher uh, and to see, maybe even to experience a miracle for themselves, that's a pretty big draw, right? To, to have a miracle happen in our presence. And obviously that day they did become the recipients of an amazing miracle where Jesus fed all of them with five loaves and two fish. Uh, but Jesus did not secure a, a commitment of loyalty before he fed them. 
You didn't have them sign a waiver. You commit to me. You, you know, didn't, he didn't do that before he ministered and served them. He simply saw their need, and he was moved with the compassion, and then he served. He served, you know, and what a great example to everybody, including his disciples and us. You know, so I think when you think about that, there is a significant lesson that sometimes gets missed. Okay, I think there's a significant lesson there for all of us. And here it is. Choosing who to serve should have absolutely nothing to do with our potential returns. You don't wait. I'm going to serve them. How can they serve me? That is not it. You serve. When God brings somebody and he lets you know you need to serve that person, it makes no difference what they can, how they can benefit you, how they can benefit me. We should not do that. He saw their need, moved with compassion, and served them. And you know, what a servant leader Jesus is. Amazing, amazing. Now let's skip ahead one full year to, again, from the even previous passage, move ahead one full year uh, to the final week uh, at Jerusalem before his, uh, his crucifixion. Okay, so here in, in John chapter 13, that's where we're going to go. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, Jesus teaches his disciples a life lesson that they're not going to forget. Uh, and not only does he verbally teach them about how to serve one another, he models true servanthood by washing their feet to a task typically given to the absolute lowest servant in the house, okay? So John 13, 1 to 17. I know these are familiar passages, but it, you lay them all together and it helps us to see a little something about Jesus. All right, so John 13, 1 to 17. Now before the, the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having Loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Well, if you do not want me to wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter he changed his tune here in a hurry. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, uh, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, no. He who was bathed, or already a believer, that's, a, that's what he's saying here, he who was bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Speaking of Judas. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down against so he's all done, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Did you get the lesson? Did you get, you get the point? 
Okay, you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher. You call me Lord, and you say, well, he's saying that's the right thing to do. That's who I am, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, well, then you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay, what a lesson. What a moment, okay? So it's not about being the greatest. It's not about being the greatest so that you can be served by those under you. It's about loving one another enough to serve regardless of your position. Love one another enough to serve regardless of the position that you've been blessed with. You know, and I used to think, I've heard this pastors of I've taught through this I don't know how many times, and I've heard lessons on all of it or part of it. And I used to think that Jesus washing Judas' feet was the most amazing part of the entire passage. Judas, he's washing his feet because Jesus clearly knew who would betray him. Here he is washing his feet. I thought, that's awesome, you know, that Jesus could do that. But you know what? Now I believe the fact that Jesus knew that he was not only going to God, but he knew he was from God. I think that's the most amazing part. He knew who he really was. I'm not just going to die, and I'm not just going to go to God. I came from there. He understood who he was. So at this point, nothing is hidden from Jesus about his full identity. And even as God Almighty, creator of all things, he humbly washes the feet of his disciples that just so happened to include Judas. Okay? I think that's more amazing, that, that he knew who he was and he did this. So uh, from their perspective... Having a human teacher that they respected, serving them like this would be difficult enough uh, for, for them to accept. But I want you to imagine, from their, from their vantage point, I want you to imagine uh, when his true identity as the Son of God is beyond dispute in their minds, when it becomes beyond dispute in their minds, imagine... Uh, after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension back into heaven, them looking around and thinking back to this day. What would that be like to think back after there's no question about who he was and the fact that he, he was saying the right things and he is God. After all that's happened, them thinking back to the actions of this day after supper. Wow. <laughs> yeah. God washed my feet. That's what, that's, that's what it comes down to. You can say it any way you want to say it. Think about it any way you want to think about it. But they had the unbelievable reality and experience that their creator, God, who came in flesh, bent down and washed their feet that day. And, and that has to change who you are once you really get the totality uh, of that uh, so God washed my feet. And, and, and with that as an example, I mean, nothing that they or nothing that, that, that I or you could bring to the table 
should make us too proud to serve, right? I mean, that sort of like clears the playing field. Nothing that we have should make us too proud to serve when that is the truth. So, so Jesus uh, has modeled servant leadership several different times in several different ways. Uh, and he has cared for his disciples when they were exhausted. He made a plan for them. Oh, come over here, come get some rest, right? Uh, he has served thousands of, uh, of people that are there to hear him that were desperate for his help. Uh, but this last example that I want us to look at, I really think shows the, the purpose and the motive behind it all. So last place we're going to turn here today, uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 36. And, and what we see here uh, in, in this interaction between Jesus and God the Father clearly communicates Jesus' willingness to serve at all costs. So Jesus takes his servant leadership and he moves it all the way into sacrificial leadership. Mark 14, 32 to 36. And then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane, which he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then they said to him, then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here. Watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will but what you will. Other passages of Scripture, other places in the Gospel, it says, not my will, but yours be done. That's the more familiar rendering of that. And he goes, but at the end of the day, uh, that's the attitude that we need to have if we have any hope of following Jesus' example of being a servant leader. That's, that's where it comes right down to it. We have to have that. If we have any hope of really doing this, not just pretending to do this, that's where it has to come from. Uh, you know, without a, a heart to serve God, uh, we will automatically default to the world's way of leadership. We may not even know what's happening at first, but we'll start thinking that way and responding that way because that is our default. All right? Uh, and so without that heart to serve, that's what will happen. We need, we need hearts that are willing to learn a better way. That's the truth. A better way. We need a heart that is more interested in, in pleasing God than serving self. We need our, our motives uh, to match up with Christ's motives who willingly humbled himself and simply served. He served because he loved. He served because he had compassion. And, and as far as I'm concerned, there is no, is no position or, or task that is below me because if Jesus, my Savior, would take on the role of the lowest servant of his disciples, uh, with his disciples there, what argument uh, could I possibly have if God asks me to do something? There is nothing. It basically opens it wide open there. So 
I want to close our time by rereading one verse from Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 44 says this, and then we're going to go right into prayer. And it says, And whoever of you, speaking to believers, whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Think on that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for loving us to tell, enough to tell us some of the most difficult truths, Lord, and telling us not only uh, the ways of the world, but we all know some of those ways are in us. And uh, thank you for leading in a way that um, can be followed. Thank you for loving freely, responding from compassion, seeing need and meeting that need just simply because you had the ability to do it. Uh, so, Lord, um, it's in us to follow you. It's not always readily at the forefront of our minds or something that we have to do a little work at, Lord. So give us those opportunities. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts in a very real and tangible way so that we can genuinely be different, so that we can respond like Christ would respond. Bring it to our minds so it doesn't just go and be something we didn't do in the past. Lord, help us in the moment to recognize when you're asking us to, to love, to serve like Christ. And then we pray that the Spirit would give us the strength to do that. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for not giving up on us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please feel free to join us again next week. From all of us here at Sabatis Community Baptist Church, we hope you have a blessed week.